Welcome to the show, Be Convinced, where I share life-changing stories of hope with you so that you can get a big dose of hope in just 30 minutes. I'm your host, Soraya Diasi-Kofelt. I'm an Ivy League-educated lawyer, a former judge, small business owner, children's author, wife, and mother who's passionate about helping to improve your life and convincing you that there is indeed hope for a better future for ourselves and our children. Because of my diverse education and life experiences, I'm able to bring to you a wide variety of guests, from children to millennials to senior citizens, all of whom share their heartfelt, life-changing stories of hope to inspire and motivate you. Each story is told by ordinary people, just like you and me, who went through different challenges in their lives and have been able to overcome them. Mother Teresa once said that one person alone cannot change the world. But one person can cast a stone across the water to create many ripples. I would like my podcast to do just that. Create many ripples through many lives, including yours, as we hope for and achieve better. Please rate and review my podcast on Apple or Spotify. Also, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. It is easy. Just click a button and it's free and you will get all my new episodes to keep you encouraged and filled with hope. This is episode number 88. My guest is Ryan Lidner, an author and personal development specialist who has been a behavioral coach for individual clients and top organizations all over the world. What I find so impressive is not only Ryan's ability to successfully cope with his many personal challenges, including anorexia, anxiety, and two cardiac arrests, but also his educational background and wealth of professional experience. He openly shares how his personal health challenges have helped him to become a better behavioral coach. We also talk about his book, The Half-Known Life, What Matters Most When You're Running Out of Time. He wants it to be a catalyst in your life to bring about lasting changes and improvements. Please stay tuned. You will indeed be convinced and filled with hope. My passion has always been to spread the love of books and promote the importance of literacy in a child's life. My passion inspired me to write a series of five faith-based children's books about our favorite holidays from a Christian's perspective, Easter, Fourth of July, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. My books are filled with colorful illustrations and lots of humor because children love to laugh. All proceeds from book sales go to the nonprofit foundation as the Stars of the Sky Foundation to help promote literacy. To purchase my books, please visit asastarsofthesky.org or your favorite online bookseller. Thank you. Hi, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Be Convinced, where we're sharing life-changing stories of hope. And as you know, my guest is Ryan Lidner, a personal development specialist and author. We're going to be talking with Ryan in a few minutes. But as usual, I like to start off my podcast with a quote that applies to what we're going to be talking about. And the quote comes from Ryan, and it is, if you aren't living you're dying. So Ryan, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on Be Convinced. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. 
And you have such a fascinating background and you've been through a lot of health issues. And what I wanted to do before we talk about your book, and the book is titled The Half-Known Life, What Matters Most When You're Running Out of Time. So I'm really looking forward to talking about your book. But before that, I always like my guests to give the listening audience information about their background. Yeah, absolutely. I've been a coach for many years and nothing I ever planned on doing. I never knew it was a career option, but like many coaches and those types of professions, I was seeking something more for myself. You know, I grew up still definitely a introvert, extremely introverted. Yes. I grew up with really, really bad anxiety, real bad stage fright, public speaking, people pleaser that had no boundaries whatsoever, really just wanted to, you know, please other people and I think growing up professionally, you know, I gravitated towards the wellness and coaching, just again, seeking something for myself to kind of overcome those things. Found out that it was such a great fit for me. I loved listening to other people. I learned how to ask the right questions, got additional training. So coaching for many years, I don't do one-on-one sessions anymore so much. I work mostly with organizations. So what started as working with individuals soon grew to understanding, you know, There's nothing we do more on a daily basis than we spend the most hours of our waking lives working. So I became intrigued about our experience at the workplace and I felt a real shortcoming with the way workplace culture is. So I began coaching in organizations, helping employees perform better, helping leaders manage better and tracking the return on that. But yeah, just really helping people have a better daily experience. I specialize in transitions. So any kind of life change that might be scary or, you know, helping people get out of their comfort zone. I do work a lot with introverts, people with anxiety, people with, you know, again, those big, scary choices sometimes. And yeah, those are essentially what you went through. So you can be really helpful on a personal and professional basis. Yeah. So, you know, being with anxiety and, you know, being introverted and a lot of my clients would be surprised to probably hear that I'm introverted because yes. again, one-on-one introverts are usually, you know, oftentimes fine, but with big groups, that was really the struggle there. And it was made worse by my self-dialogue. So really the way I thought of myself, my self-esteem and so forth. Once I became, I actually scored what I would call my dream job. I had a really great contract working for the military, actually doing coaching, doing health and wellness coaching. And I actually had two cardiac arrests. I was there for maybe a month or something like that when I had the cardiac arrest. Yes. And it totally transformed the way I do coaching sessions. But it was such a tough time for many reasons because, you know, first I had just started working there. So I had no paid time off. My insurance hadn't kicked in yet. So I was back at work five days later because I had the financial need. But it drastically changed the coaching sessions. I mean, I was doing virtual sessions at the time and and telephonic. So it was all over the phone. I'd be connected to all these wires. And so clients, you know, they couldn't see, but listening to people's problems and dealing with the everyday sort of noise that we encounter, um, it totally transformed after those cardiac arrests. The cardiac arrests were one day apart and, you know, no family history. As you know, I've been in wellness my whole life and always into fitness, nutrition. And there were just random freak events, really. And And still, still know I was 30. That's so young to have a cardiac arrest. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And no real underlying cause is is still revealed. You know, I'm in my forties now, 
no cause. The closest that I can understand after years of searching is I have a, maybe some electrical problems. And, you know, I'm dizzy basically 24 seven to varying degrees and I get fatigued real easy. So first that didn't help with the anxiety, <laughs> you know, like yes. I have some mm-hmm. PTSD as a result, but, and not only did it transform sessions, but I have to have boundaries. I have to, if I don't have boundaries for myself, in other words, be very careful with my time, get enough sleep, self-care has got to be prioritized. If I don't prioritize those things, I get sick. My blood pressure does these weird things and I get lightheaded and clammy and I start to go downhill. So I have to have boundaries. And so when I work with clients, I really, I do understand sometimes the chronic illness side of things. And also when I'm working with them to create boundaries, I truly get that in a unique way. Yeah. So you've been through that health challenge, but I wanted to take you back to your teenage years because we had talked about in our pre-podcast chat that you had an eating disorder, which is not common for young men to have. So tell us about your journey with anorexia. Sure. I think it all goes hand in hand. Again, I mentioned the self-dialogue and sort of the anxiety and introversion and all that. And I felt like my whole life, I have, you know, OCD tendencies. I mean, you know, I had really strange (laughs) habits as a kid. I had a rule like one item per drawer and I was like, just great. Like, but it was all for me to sort of control my environment. I felt like it was out of control. And if socially, I didn't feel like I fit in, at least I could try to control things. And when I found out, I remember actually the day it started. Yeah. I can actually pinpoint it. Yes. Yeah. Someone said something to me. I was in, I think I was ninth grade and someone said something to me in the cafeteria and it was just this really ugly thing. And I was a little bit overweight, not a lot overweight, but a little bit. Yes. And I went home that day and I began exercising compulsively and I lost 30, 40 pounds like really quick. Yes. And for my height, I was extremely underweight, but I felt like, again, if I'm not feeling good and I'm not in control of my environment, you know, where I thought my self-worth was, at least I could control that. Yes. Yes. And I started, you know, the exercise, I started getting comp. Oh, you're losing weight. And of course that made it perpetuate. Oh yeah. At least I'm good. I'm getting some kind of praise here. And I joined a track and field team, cross country and all that. Now I was totally compulsive with it, but again, at least I felt like I was good at something. I had an identity there. Whereas, you know, if I wasn't getting approval from other people, at least I found something. And my partner at the time was bulimic and she was also a compulsive exerciser. So for anybody, you know, who can kind of relate the the exercise with the eating, those two things, I mean, the exercise would be hours and hours and hours. My diet was extremely poor. In fact, you know, as I went through school, I only ate stuff that was for a while, people kind of made fun of me, but not in a kind of an ingest though. A lot of what I ate was just white. Like it was egg whites, cottage cheese, you know, like just, (laughs) yes, but you um, said your, your girlfriend was a ballerina. So that was even, yeah. Yeah. She was a ballerina. Of course, that environment sometimes cultivates those feelings of where your worth comes from and the need to control that. And then you're still dealing with the anorexia to date, or how do you feel now about that condition? I don't know if I'm dealing with it. 
I'm dealing with it in a sense that the underlying self-worth being enough, that driving factor for a lot of those things, the need to control my environment, that's always in my periphery. Now, I'm always working on it. Again, big advocate of personal development you know, as a coach and things like that. But I don't know that anyone like finds a cure or anything. I think sometimes it's the way we're wired, we're hardwired and things like that. But what I have developed is a way to change my habits, change my thinking, and just become really aware of sort of the internal dialogue that I've had. So yep, sometimes you know I'm a person and yeah, sometimes I do revisit some of those things, particularly with the anxiety. Yes. And the need to control. But I think in terms of being at a healthy weight, I do feel like I'm at a good spot. You know, I'm still very much into fitness. But you know, cardiac arrest really made me revisit a lot of those identity things because you know there are some things I can't do ever again. So when you can't do certain things ever again, you go, well, you know, what's really important. So that's true. That's true. So you have the personal experience of dealing with anorexia and anxiety and some other ailments, and you've been able to really deal with them very well and become a personal development coach. Tell us about your educational background, because I think that's always important. You have the personal and you have the educational that sort of solidifies you to now be advising people who come to you. Yeah. So my undergrad degree is in health and human performance, basically how we perform exercise, science, nutrition, that kind of thing. And then I went back, got additional training for kind of the holistic piece of, and also working with organizations as well. So it's more in education and with the health of change, basically behavior change concentration. And What's your uh, master's I, degree in? It's in education. Yeah. So really creating those programs for change for organizations. And then my doctoral work is more in leadership. So leadership, again, organizations, I think, you know, there's certainly a tie between, you know, we say, you know, hire people, not roles. And that's really the center point of the focus of what I do is look at organizational culture, track turnover and things like that. And I think when, you know, we've all heard the saying, people don't leave bad jobs, they leave bad bosses, but they leave bad situations. And the minute an employee feels like they're a role and not a person, then they feel a disconnect there and they're more likely to leave. Yes. And And a lot of employers don't get that. Yes. And as a small business owner and having employees over 20, 25 years, I fully agree with you. You hire people, not roles, but it's something I've had to go through and I had to understand and become better at as a business owner and a manager to do that. But I so, so totally agree with that. And then you're also board certified as a coach. Right. I do a lot with coaching for sure, a license there. And then I do a lot of managing projects too. So on the business side, I've got a lot of project management type training as well. So about how many years have you been doing the coaching? In different capacities, in different, I guess, settings, I would say. I would say just about 20, a little under 20, maybe 20 years, yeah. 17, 18, something like that. Yeah. So now you're able to more specialize into working with organizations. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you've written a book, and again, the title is The Half-Known Life, What Matters Most When You're Running Out of Time, and that was released just in April of 2022, a few months ago. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think when people see the title, they think, oh, well, he had the cardiac arrest and that that makes sense. But it's actually inspired by a quote from Moby Dick, the half known life piece. And to me, that means the inability for us to always see ourselves. You know, I've had psychologists as clients, military generals. The first time I had a psychologist, I was kind of like, well, I thought they were supposed to have it all kind of figured out, you know, they're (laughs) they're psychologists. (laughs) But then I realized very quickly that, you know, we're all people, we're all human and it doesn't really matter how smart you are. You could be brilliant, but I think we can help other people. But in terms of seeing ourselves, that's sort of different. And I thought that's interesting. And that's really what the book is about. It's about the exploration of, you know, of yourself, what your identity, what does that mean? The word identity and exploring habits, maybe you can't see your blind spots. And, you know, if you ask someone what's important to them, what their priorities are, they'll tell you, they know, oh, it's family, it's this and this, but they don't reflect it in their daily life usually. So that's what I focus on, the exploration of kind of what they can't see. Yes. And you had mentioned to me also when we first chatted that we don't have to wait for this life-changing event to happen. It's within our powers to begin this transformation. So why should a listener purchase your book over all the other self-help books that are out there? A lot of self-help or sometimes I hear to it as shelf help. People get it and they sits on the shelf. But yes. most self-help books, and some are very good, don't get me wrong. Some yes, are sir. not good and some are, but most of them are programmatic. So you've got like a series of steps. Do these five steps and you will accomplish your dreams just like that. And if you have 10 gurus, you're going to have maybe 10 different ways of doing things that they say is the way. So some of the advice is very good, but this book is not more you have to do. It's not more steps for you to remember. It's more of the exploration behind who you are. You're the expert on your own life. So it's kind of a coach approach. And I look at it like this, most self-help treats symptoms, not causes. So like if I were to go and help a hoarder and I could help them get organized, I can give them self-help books, I can clean their house for them, I could do all kinds of things, but they're going to hoard again in a week because we haven't addressed the underlying cause of that. And that's in their minds. So my book isn't just like, here's 10 steps, says the guru and do this and you'll you know live happily ever after yes. it's more of really asking tough questions and getting to you know the real parts of your lives and exploring what that is yes and what do you want a reader to walk away with i think just i would love for the book i hope it's a catalyst i hope it's a catalyst for someone you know most of us we don't make any real profound change until again as we said a trauma occurs yes. now you don't need a trauma to change but a trauma, it gets them off the to-do list. It quiets the noise for a moment, and then they can really reflect on their lives. Now, again, it doesn't take a trauma, but I think it does take a catalyst. And hopefully the book is that where people step back and say, whoa, and maybe have a look at those blind spots to where they can actually change. You know, there's some strategies, there's some tips in there, but really the focus on the book is really the exploration. Yes. And I love that word catalyst because that's what we need often in our lives to, as you say, we know it in our minds, but to actually bring about the everyday change or transition, we need that catalyst to do it. 
And I think that's a wonderful word, very active <laughs> word. And your website is what, Ryan? It is rslindner.com. So RS is in Sam and then Lindner, L-I-N-D-N-E-R.com. Yes. And my book is halfknownlifebook.com. Yes, and they can find out a lot about you on your website. And I visited your website in preparation for our talk. And you have a blog page and many, many interesting articles. And I like to focus on just a couple because they're interesting to me and you give some what I think are good perspectives to look at, but they're pertaining to job interviews. So there are two that I've read on your website. And one of them is five simple things to do to separate yourself in the job interview. Why did you feel the necessity to write blogs about job interviews before we ask you what the five simple steps are? Since I kind of have one foot in the coaching world and one foot in sort of the organizational world, I've trained and worked with a lot of HR representatives and things like that. And when I work with people, changes, a lot of those changes are career type changes. So I got tons of training in that. You know, I'm a certified resume writer. I do help people with all those interview things in terms of communication, how to create impressions right away, how to connect right away, and how to, again, with introverts, people with anxiety a lot, you know, interviews can be very difficult yes. in coming across the right way. So I think, you know, along the same lines as hiring people, not roles. And we spend so many hours working. I want people to find opportunities culturally and, you know, culturally, financially, and everything that really works for them. And I help give them the power of options. And they have options by strengthening not only their resumes, but their interviewing, their communication, how they're coming across, the job search itself. So, yes, it's all yes. part of. Helping, I'm a matchmaker for organizations and people. There you go. Yes. And, okay. And- I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you do give five simple things to do to separate yourself out. Do you want to give us a few of those? You don't necessarily have to give us five if someone can read the blog. Yeah, I can give you a few tips for sure. One thing is, you know, well, there are a few obvious things. One is you want to go in prepared, you want to do some research, find out who you're talking to. But a few tips that people don't think about are things like, you want to communicate. And again, it starts that self-dialogue. Hiring managers are asking themselves two questions when they're speaking to you. Number one is, can this person do the job? And number two is, do I want to work with them? Do I like them? Yes. And so the need to connect is very important. So you want to behave and speak to them as if, especially for a leadership role, like you're talking to a peer. Yes. Right. You know, you want to speak to them like you're speaking to a peer because they're getting a sense of, you know, would I like to work with this person? Can they do it? And when I work with introverts a lot and people with anxiety, they get so nervous. They might be fantastic at the job, but they never get past that first interview because they're so nervous and they're so in their head. Yes. That they're not present in the moment. So I always recommend slow down. Remember, we're all just people. The first time I had a psychologist or military general as a client, I was a little nervous too. Yes. Fine. It's fine. But the important thing is don't worry about being perfect. Just slow down, go in with two examples of maybe some things you did, specific situations that you did, and what was the result of those situations, two examples pertaining to that role, and just speak to them like a peer. So really slow down. And I would go in with two examples that you know 
like the back of your hand. Yes, yes. I remember my youngest son, he graduated from business school. And in the process of looking for a job, he kept sending out resumes. And he must have sent out over 100 resumes and had maybe 30 interviews. And after each wow. interview, he just felt, oh, I did so well. I think I'm going to get a call back. And <laughs> it took a long time for him, a relatively long time before he was actually hired because there was so much competition. And this was a few years ago. There was so much competition. And I believe that some of the advice you give is really good because you have to sort of distinguish yourself from other applicants. And how do you do that based on your experience and what you bring to the table that's special? Yeah. I mean, I could speak for hours on that. I Actually, I love the topic. I would say the resume is a marketing piece and I would frame it. If I could give one tip, it would be frame it as a cause and effect. So in other words, if you're in customer service and you are, you know, most people assume what customer service is. You don't need to explain what it is. And if yes. you're in sales, most people know that you're probably selling. Yes. You don't need to explain all that. What you need to explain and indicate in a resume is how you did it better from the thousand other people that are applying. And most people don't. They just list the duties. They just say, well, yeah, I sold and I answered phones and I managed accounts and I, did this and this and this, but okay, that's all fine. But what people care about is how you did it better than the other people. So I always think of it like cause and effect is you did this and this was the result. Yes. You did this yes. and this was the result. Yes. And I would say, you know, three, four, five bullet points per role that really reflect why you're a better choice than someone else. Yes. And I think that's a really good point to get across. Well, Ryan, we're coming to the end of the podcast. And I just wanted to mention your book again, The Half-Known Life, What Matters Most When You're Running Out of Time. Where can the listening audience purchase your book? I would say that the best place is probably Amazon. Amazon. And they can also, it's linked through my website and my social media as well. Yes, great. Well, I wish you all the best in all that you're doing. And thank you so much for being a guest and inspiring us on how we can take action and have this catalyst to then bring about transformations in our life. Have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me on my show, Be Convinced, as we share with you life-changing stories of hope. Please visit my Facebook page, Be Convinced VI, and like and follow me. I post weekly about upcoming radio shows and podcasts. Please also visit my website at sorayadiasikofelt.com, where you will be able to read more about me and access my podcasts, which are all designed to give you a big dose of hope in just 30 minutes. Let's contemplate on what the great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, Use me, God. Show me how to take who I am, who I want to be, and what I can do, and use it for a greater purpose than myself. Mm-hmm.